From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, not-so-idiopathic ocular inflammation. Uveitis is more common in ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. We see uveitis in 5 to 12% of ulcerative colitis patients and much less commonly in Crohn's disease, usually around um, 2% of patients. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Goldstein declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing, and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Idiopathic uveitis is probably not a single disease, but an amalgamation of different pathologies which share in common their ability to hide from us evidence of their etiologies. But like the UFO believers say, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Or in our case, absence of evidence of a systemic pathology does not mean that such a link doesn't exist. Inflammatory bowel disease is a systemic pathology which can be related to uveitis in some patients. But what if a patient only has a family history of inflammatory bowel disease? Does this predispose him to idiopathic uveitis? To answer that question, I have Deborah Goldstein as my guest today. Deborah, what pathologies comprise inflammatory bowel disease? Well, inflammatory bowel disease comprises two basic entities, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And those both can be associated with ocular inflammatory disease as an extra-articular manifestation. Uveitis is more common in ulcerative colitis than Crohn's disease. We see uveitis in 5 to 12% of ulcerative colitis patients and much less commonly in Crohn's disease, usually around 2% of patients. And we can see acute irritable cyclitis, chronic irritable cyclitis, macular edema, retinal vasculitis, scleritis. So all parts of the eye can be involved in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. And in some cases, actually, the uveitis precedes the bowel disease. To the extent that the association between inflammatory bowel disease and uveitis is unrecognized in, in a particular patient and that some of these uveitis patients are undiagnosed and therefore are classified as idiopathic uveitis. How common is idiopathic uveitis? You know, uveitis is very often idiopathic. In our patients, slightly over one-third have idiopathic disease, and in some series it's up to 50%. Is the location within the eye of the ocular inflammation a determinant of the presence of IBD, inflammatory bowel disease? Well, you know, IBD is still not the most common cause, you know, by any stretch of the imagination of systemic disease associated with inflammation. We tend to see more, um, you know, like I said before, IBD can be associated with any form of ocular inflammation. Deborah, can you describe the design of the study? Sure. 
we looked at medical records of patients seen in our service in a 10-year period from 1995 to 2005. And there were a total of 2,217 patients with uveitis. We went through the records to define that percentage that was idiopathic, so not associated with any known systemic disease, with no particular known ocular syndrome, and with no history of trauma. And almost a third of the patients were idiopathic, so we had 727 idiopathic patients. And we have fairly complete medical records on these patients. We went through all of their charts, and new patient uveitis visit is really extensive. There's an endless history and physical examination, and in that history is a detailed review of systems and a family history. So we had available to us in the medical records the family histories of all of our patients. In some cases, we didn't have enough detail and we actually had to contact the patients further. But most of the time, we actually had enough detail in the medical record to determine presence or absence of a family history of inflammatory bowel disease. So we looked at the 727 patients with idiopathic disease and looked at what percentage of them had a family history of either Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. And we omitted those with what we called indeterminate colitis. So if someone said, oh yeah, someone had some kind of colitis, but I don't know what it was, we decided to err on the side of being overcautious and eliminated those patients. For the purposes of this study, how were anterior, intermediate, and posterior uveitis defined? Well, you know, we can go back and just in terms of how we classify uveitis. When we see a patient with uveitis, we classify them along a number of lines. One is the course and the onset. So is the disease acute or chronic? Does it come on suddenly with a short duration or is there a more insidious onset and a longer duration? We do it by location and the grading, the classification system has changed somewhat over the years, but basically uveitis is defined as anterior if it's iritis or iridocyclitis, intermediate if the primary pathology is centered in the vitreous, posterior if the primary pathology is in the retina or choroid, and then panuveitis if it's equally distributed in the anterior chamber, vitreous, and posterior segment, like retina and choroid. To speak in more specific terms, if a patient had a primarily anterior uveitis with some spillover into the anterior vitreous, would that patient still be classified as an anterior uveitis patient, or would you classify the patient as having intermediate uveitis? By definition, iridocyclitis, they can have cells behind the lens. So that, that for us is classified as anterior uveitis. And, you know, I think most of us have accepted that by now and used the standardization of uveitis nomenclature criteria. And that's the criteria, that, that's the system that we've always used. So that anterior uveitis includes iritis, which is just cells in the anterior chamber, and then an iridocyclitis, which includes retrolental cells. So that would still be classified as anterior uveitis. What constituted the study population uh, and, and control population? Well, as I said, we looked at all of the patients we thought we saw in a 10-year period. And there was really no study group or control group, but what we did was separate out those who had a family history of inflammatory bowel disease. Well, first, excuse me, first what we did is separate out those with idiopathic disease. So that's the first thing, and we eliminated patients with known diseases, so patients with Bechet's disease or ankylosing spondylitis or fuchsiridocyclitis or birdshot or trauma, et cetera, et cetera. So we were left with just the idiopathic group. And then we looked within the idiopathic group at those who had a family history of ulcerative colitis or Crohn's and those who didn't have a family history. And most of the comparisons are between those two groups. So idiopathic uveitis with a family history versus idiopathic uveitis without a family history. Basically, this all stems from the fact that we had noticed over the years that 
it seemed like um, a disproportionately high percentage of our patients with idiopathic uveitis had family histories of ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. So we decided about looking at this in a more systematized way because of our clinical impression. We wanted to see whether the numbers actually fit with our clinical impression. Were the presentations that were relatively more common in the IBD patient group, and I'm thinking now of corneal involvement. Yeah, um, uh, keratoiritis and sclerokeratitis were more common in those with a family history than those without. So anterior segment involvement was more, most common, and then including the cornea and or the sclera um, was more common in those with a family history than those without. What about episcleritis? You know, we did not find a higher percentage of episcleritis patients, but we thought that that was because most episcleritis tends to be managed by the primary ophthalmologist and doesn't get sent to us. We're a tertiary referral center. So I think that we're just not seeing a whole lot of really mild, benign disease. Were the results similar for patients with a family history of IBD as opposed to a a personal history of it? There, There certainly were differences between those two groups. The patients with a personal history of IBD were similar in some ways to our patients, but uh, most notably, um, they were different in their la- they're different in their lab findings. In that, as expected, a higher percentage of patients with inflammatory bowel disease are HLA B27 positive than those without inflammatory bowel disease, and we were expecting to see that in our patients with a family history, but in fact, they did not have a higher incidence of HLA B27 positivity than, than did the control group. Um, and they had a lower incidence of HLA B27 positivity than the group with an actual personal history of inflammatory bowel disease. To follow that up, what does that tell you about the assumption that HLA B27 is an independent risk factor? I think that we know that HLA B27 is a risk factor for uveitis. And most commonly in patients who are HLA B27 positive, we see acute anterior uveitis, so acute iritis or acute iridocyclitis. What was surprising to us was that that test was not positive more often than controls in our subgroup of patients with a family history. So it tells us that there must be some other risk factors associated with IBD that confer a higher incidence of ocular inflammatory disease. And we hope in the future to look at some of those other markers to see if we can identify what it is about a family history of inflammatory bowel disease that predisposes a patient to developing uveitis. What was less common in the population with a family history of IBD? Granulomatous disease was the most striking thing that was less common. So patients with a family history of inflammatory bowel disease were much more likely to have non-granulomatous uveitis than the cohort without a family history. They were also less likely to be of African-American origin and more likely to be Caucasian, which we expect because inflammatory bowel disease is much more prevalent in the Caucasian population. But the thing that we didn't know a priori was that granulomatous disease is much less common in this group of patients. Were there differences in the erythrocyte sedimentation rates? Um, Actually, we found very little difference in lab results. So there was no significant difference in the frequency of elevated ANA, ACE, lysozyme, ESR, rheumatoid factor, or or abnormal chest x-rays among patients with and without a family history of inflammatory bowel disease. Out of the patients who were tested, and this is not all of the patients, a positive ANA was found more commonly in patients with a family history than those without, and the ESR tended not to be elevated as often, although those two differences were not statistically significant. 
How do your findings compare with those of other researchers? Well, I don't think anybody's ever looked at a family history of inflammatory bowel disease. It's well known that inflammatory bowel disease itself is a risk factor for the development of uveitis. Um, 5 to 12% of patients with ulcerative colitis develop ocular inflammatory disease, and 2% of Crohn's patients develop ocular inflammatory disease. So the association between having IBD and developing uveitis is really well known. I don't think that anyone's ever looked before at the risk factor for getting uveitis in patients who only have a family history of inflammatory bowel disease but do not themselves have bowel disease. And it may be that all we've done is identified a subgroup of patients who will ultimately develop inflammatory bowel disease or who have a subtype of inflammatory bowel disease with only extraintestinal manifestations, or it may be that there's some marker, some genetic marker that is more common in family members that predisposes them to develop inflammation of some sort, be it inflammatory bowel disease or eye disease only. You make reference to antigenic cross-reactivity to the ciliary body. Could you explain the point further? Sure. You know, what we want to do now that we've identified the subgroup is try to find out what it is specifically that puts patients at risk. Are there genes or markers that predispose patients to develop uveitis? And we know it's not HLA-B27 from this series. There's work on a specific autoantibody to ulcerative colitis, and it's called the UCP-ANCA. And this is the anti-neutrophil cytoplasmic antibody with perinuclear staining. And that's known to be elevated in patients with ulcerative colitis. And this was recently found to cross-react with ciliary body antigens. So what we want to do is see whether we can find an elevated incidence of or level of the UCP-ANCA marker in this patient subpopulation that we've identified. In other words, in patients who have uveitis, who don't have inflammatory bowel disease, but who have a family history of inflammatory bowel disease, is this UCP-ANCA elevated? And it may be that the UCP-ANCA is an independent risk factor for the development of uveitis or colonic disease. This is an aside, but the, uh, the test for UCP-ANCA is only available from one specific laboratory, and we're hoping to be able to collaborate with that laboratory to see whether this marker is indeed one of the predisposing um, determinants of the development of ocular inflammatory disease. What do you think that the pathogenesis is here? You know, I, I don't think that I can answer that yet. I think that what we've identified is a subgroup of patients with idiopathic disease, and I'm hoping that with that subgroup, we'll be able to subsequently identify markers that help us discover more about the idiopathogenesis. But I don't think that this small series can help us understand the pathogenesis any better. The other thing that I think is actually useful about this series is that idiopathic disease accounts for so much of uveitis. It accounts for one-third to one-half of uveitis. So the, the study, I think, may also be useful in that we may ultimately be able to shrink the very large subgroup of patients that we've labeled as idiopathic. You know, one-third to one-half of patients that we see, we have to say, I have no idea why you have uveitis. And sometimes I joke with my residents that when I tell a patient the disease is idiopathic, I'm really saying that I'm an idiot and the patient is pathetic. So I think that anything that we can do to shrink that subgroup that we call idiopathic is useful, if only to say, well, we don't know exactly why you have it, but we know that it's related to the fact that people in your family have inflammatory bowel disease. And ultimately, I hope we can find specific markers that we can look at to help us classify patients better. So, Deborah, what do you do now in your own practice 
when a patient with idiopathic uveitis comes in? Well, patients who come to see our uveitis service get this incredibly extensive history um, and review of systems. So I want to know about every patient's pulmonary history, gastrointestinal history, dermatologic history. I'll even look at their skin. I want to know really a complete review of systems, and I want to know all about their family history. So I'm not changing what I do with patients now. This came out of what we've always done. Every patient with uveitis gets worked up for sarcoidosis and syphilis, and then they all get worked, then they get worked up for other diseases based on their clinical presentation. So I don't believe in a shotgun approach to working up uveitis patients. I don't think that doing 500 tests really helps. We, we need to do a more directed workup. So every patient gets a chest x-ray looking for sarcoidosis, and this is regardless of whether the disease is in the anterior segment or the posterior segment, whether it's acute or chronic. I like to do an ACE, an angiotensin-converting enzyme, and lysozyme levels, although that's not uh, universally accepted. In patients who have a possibility of exposure to tuberculosis, I would place a PPD. Every patient in my practice gets a specific test for syphilis, and this has classically been the FTABS or the MHATP, um, although there are some other tests that can be used in the stead of those two tests. And then I'll tailor the workup. So if a patient has a family history of inflammatory bowel disease or they have a personal history, for example, of gastrointestinal symptoms that haven't been worked up, that patient I might refer uh, to gastroenterology. I obviously don't do that part of the workup myself. A patient with pain, redness, and photophobia with acute iritis will get worked up for um, the presence of HLA-B27. Obviously, that's a little higher on my differential if they tell me they have a history of for example, low back pain and stiffness that's worse in the morning. But even without a history consistent with ankylosing spondylitis, everybody with acute iritis will get an HLA-B27. And then there's other testing that we do based on history. One of the newer things that we think about is tubular interstitial nephritis and uveitis syndrome. So we might look at uh, beta-2 microglobulin in these patients. But very much it's tailored to the patient's past medical history, review of systems, history of this episode of uveitis, and history of previous episodes of uveitis. And now I think that we need to add family history into what we're thinking about. Deborah, let me just open up the floor here and ask you if you have any comments that you'd like to make about the management of uveitis generally. So when we see a patient with uveitis, the first thing we need to do is classify that patient's disease because it's very hard to come up with a differential diagnosis of uveitis in general. It's kind of a big category. So when I look at a patient, I want to think about the the course and onset of that patient's disease. So did that episode begin suddenly and is it of short duration? Did it have insidious onset and long duration? So basically, I'm trying to figure out, is this acute disease or chronic disease? We're going to classify uveitis by location. And I think that we all now use the standardization of uveitis nomenclature or SUN criteria published recently in AJO basically classifying uveitis as anterior with iritis, so cells in the anterior chamber, or iridocyclitis, cells in the anterior chamber and um, in the retrolental space, so anterior vitreous cells. So that would be anterior uveitis. Intermediate uveitis has pathology that's centered in the vitreous, so that would include things like pars planitis, but also there's other types of intermediate uveitis we can think of, including sarcoidosis or Whipple's disease or Lyme disease or even intraocular lymphoma. Posterior uveitis would refer to that uveitis based in the retina or the choroid. And then finally, pan-uveitis, where we have equal 
distribution of inflammation in the anterior chamber vitreous and retina and choroid. And it's important when we classify that we don't classify the patient based on complications, but based on the actual primary inflammation. So if I saw a patient, for example, with acute iritis with cystic macular edema, that wouldn't be panuveitis. That would be anterior uveitis with a complication of cystoid macular edema. So we want to classify really based on where the uveitis is located. We also classify disease as granulomatous versus non-granulomatous, and that's not a histopathological description, but a clinical descriptor. So a patient with large granulomatous cratic precipitates or big busaca nodules, we would classify as having granulomatous disease. And that helps in terms of the differential diagnosis because we'd be thinking about things, for example, like sarcoidosis or tuberculosis or VKH rather than disease that we know is non-granulomatous like HLA-B27 associated. And really importantly, we classify disease as infectious versus non-infectious. And we tend to sometimes forget about that classification, but it's probably the most important because the biggest mistake that we can make in treating uveitis is treating patients with infectious disease as though they have non-infectious disease. The worst thing you can do is take a patient with acute retinal necrosis and treat them with intravitreal kenalog because you think that they have non-infectious uveitis. So that's a really important classification. And then we look at the patient and we try to figure out if there's associated systemic disease or if they have a defined ocular syndrome. So in a patient with acute anterior uveitis, we can think about HLA-B27 associated disease like ankylosing spondylitis or reactive arthritis or inflammatory bowel disease. With chronic iridocyclitis, we have a large differential, and in my practice, the most common etiology for chronic iridocyclitis is sarcoidosis. If the patient has inflammation centered in the choroid, we can also think of sarcoidosis, tuberculosis. There are a lot of uh, causes. If we see retinal vasculitis, particularly involving the arteries, we might think of Bechet's disease. So we can really try to see if there's an associated systemic disease to think about. And we do a review of systems of all of the possible systems associated with these, these diseases. So we can think about patients with purely ocular disease, for example, syndromes like Fuchs iridocyclitis or birdshot retinochoroidopathy. And we don't really understand the idiopathogenesis of these diseases, but at least we can put them into a defined subcategory. So every time we see a patient, we try to classify them along those lines so that we can do a directed workup and as well give the patient an idea of the prognosis of their disease because it certainly will be much worse with something like Bechet's disease than um, other conditions like B27 disease. That was just super. Deborah Goldstein, thank you very much. This is my pleasure. Thank you. Deborah A. Goldstein is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and Director of the Uveitis Service, Ocular Aid Service, in the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the University of Illinois at Chicago, in Chicago, Illinois. Her paper, Family History of Inflammatory Bowel Disease in Patients with Idiopathic Ocular Inflammation, appears in the June 2006 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Goldstein or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States style area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype, J Young MD. Those numbers can be found on our website, 
as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the New Media Project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.